Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. are live. I think so. I think we're live. Yeah, we're live. live. And this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. I'm Megan. I am here with 
Brian and Jonathan, and it's August 22nd, and we are going back in time today. We're going back seven years, and we're gonna talk about the last time that Fish hosted a festival. It's kind of sad, because that was a long time ago. We're gonna talk about August too long. August 21st to the 23rd in Watkins Glen, New York. We are talking about Magnaball. Magnaball. And our very own Brian Brinkman was there. I so was. He's going to fill us in, give us all his memories and the in-person feels, which I'm excited about. I'm, it was really fun listening to these shows and going back. So I'm excited to dig into it. I mean this as no slight to start the podcast off, but it is nice oh, yeah. being the only person here who was at a fish festival. This like, yeah. if we talk great went, Jonathan's like, well, actually this is how it sounded and this is how it felt and this is what the air was like. And I got to be like, yeah, this is what it sounds like to my ears. This is my one chance to be like, do you guys want to know? Do you kids <laughs> want to know what a fish festival feels like? And I'm going to be able to do that. I'm excited. <laughs> this is like payback. Oh, what's your excuse? Well, so I missed Clifford Ball because I had a baby. And That's a really good excuse. I missed excuse. Magna Ball because I was taking that baby to college. So. Wow, that's crazy. Full circle. Full circle. The universe really is a donut. Time is a flat circle. It's amazing. It's, uh, yeah, those are good reasons. Those are good reasons. I have a baby involved with my Magna Ball stories, but, um, not like you may oh, yeah. think that it is, but uh, we we were. My wife was thirty one, thirty two weeks pregnant at Magnaball. My God, God thought, bless her. God, she was amazing. She was a trooper. She, I did not force anything like to happen <laughs> during the week. I was not like, hey, you can handle this, right? She, she, everything that we did, she was like, I'm cool with this. I can hang out for the drive-in set. I can do this. We had a hotel. It was perfect. But the funny thing is we, excuse me, we thought our baby was due on October 9th. And so we were like, you know, this is our last hurrah, but we've got like a month and a half to get ready. And then he decided to show up on September 12th. So like three weeks after the fact, I was in a totally oh. different world than I was at Magna Ball. I blame the dancing. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably it's fish, true. Tribalistic <laughs> dancing brought the baby out. <laughs> uh, I love so. that. Well, that's amazing. And I can't wait to hear these stories and get into this. Before we get into it, though, we should remind everyone to subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple. We just released an extended bonus episode. That episode was great because I feel like it was just someone listening in on one of our conversations. All four of us were there and we just were rolling with it. And I don't think any of us realized how long the episode was becoming because we were just having this awesome conversation. So if you are not a subscriber, please do that. It's the best way to support what we do here at HF Pod. And you should also like, review, and share HF Pod because that really helps us. So that's easy to do. Big time. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Do that for us. I also want to tell you really quickly about our sponsor, Sunset Lake. Sunset Lake's line of smokable hemp products are for the old deadhead the young fish fan, the, mm, I was going to say the pregnant woman at a festival, but maybe, maybe <laughs> not. <laughs> maybe that's not a good person to do. I think it's good. In, it's a good idea, she but it like, may not be good in practice. May not that. be a good idea. There's probably not enough research, but maybe you can use the salve. I think that's a really good idea. I think a salve would, back. Good salve would probably work. Joints. 
Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis, but without the paranoid and anxious side effects. There are nine different strains from this year's harvest. There's something for everyone. Hawaiian Haze is awesome for the an outdoor show. And Cherry Abacus is best for the end of the night. Cherry Abacus on our screen right now. Jonathan, I'm really into your use of props these days. It really elevates the the live stream. Yeah, it's really good for radio and all of our podcast listeners. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, all of the flower is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. And even better, they have this awesome farm-to-table approach. So they're going to ship directly from their farm to your door. So you're going to get great pricing and you're going to get really fast shipping. You guys know we love Sunset Lake. I've been using the sleep gummies. They now have melatonin in them. I'm telling you guys, this is a game changer. So check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and you can use the coupon code HFPOD and you're going to get 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD is farmer owned and Vermont grown. And Brian, you are going to tell us a little bit about all the events we have coming up, right? We've got a lot. We we are closing out the summer strong. Absolutely. We have one last Osiris live event, which is taking place on Wednesday, next Wednesday, August 31st at the Larimer Lounge, music and conversation featuring Taper's Choice, Tape the Rockies. Jonathan, you see him on your screen, and myself will be hosting an interview with the dudes from Taper's Choice on stage at the Larimer Lounge, about 30 minutes, get into their backgrounds get into the jamming that has been associated with them the great jams some of the best shows what is really caught on immediately about this band we're going to dive deep we're starting to amass those questions here together and then the dudes from taper's choice will be taking a stage and we'll be playing an extended set of music for all of you out there this is the night zero event get your tickets at osirispod.com slash denver Tickets are starting to go fast. I just got an update today. I am so excited. We got a lot of people who are into this event, who are really excited about this, and uh, I don't want you to miss it. So if you want to go, I would encourage you to buy your tickets before day of, before week of. Just go ahead and get them, secure them, and then you know you're going. It's going to be awesome. Um, We are also going to be live on the lot. HF pod here will be live on the Dick's lot for all four days presented by cannabis depot. It's going to be four days of music and podcasting. We're going to have guests. We're going to have giveaways. We're going to have deep dives. We there from the Dick's lot with section 119 who will be selling unique and awesome fish threads. Sunset Lake is going to have CBD products to give away. All of our Camp Cannabis Depot partners, including Yeti Farms, Evolab, Caviar, Munchies, and Harmony Extracts will be on site with us throughout the weekend. Cannabis Depot is Colorado's favorite dispensary, offering flour from the top growers in the state. Customers love the mid-shelf full bud ounces for $49 out the door. Cannabis Depot prides itself on providing the best deals in Colorado. They've got 8 grams of concentrates for $60. Uh, 
They also have $29 ground flour ounces, as well as four one-gram carts for only 80 bucks. There's so much that you can get from Cannabis Depot. Stop by Cannabis Depot in Pueblo, West Pueblo, and check out the new store opening soon in Boulder. You can visit them online at CannabisDepot.com. And to just give you a quick rundown of what we will be doing on site on Thursday, day one, We'll be doing a full breakdown of Fish's 10 plus years of Labor Day runs at Dick's, going through the best jams, the best shows, the best segues, the best gimmicks, the best spelling that has happened at Dick's. It's going to be all of it. A, all of it. It's going to be a ton of fun. And listeners to HF Pod should know that there will be a very special appearance from the man with the chair, Mr. Brad Tenbrook. Very, very excited about that. Wow. Fri- awesome. Pretty stoked there. On Friday, we will be joined by Ryan Chicheri of Trey's Guitar Rig to discuss Fish's improvisational evolution with a focus on Trey's evolving rig. For you guitar heads out there, this is going to be a sick, sick presentation, and we are going to bring music to uh, give context to everything. September 3rd, bring your buckets full of thoughts to shake down, to ponder concepts with a live recording of the Dicks and Philosophy podcast. Your hosts will be the Mockingbird Foundation directors, Dr. Stephanie Jenkins and Reed uh, Meshkevitz. We'll guide you through re- reflections on exciting and illuminating topics, including the healing power of music, music education as community engagement, and the ethics of fandom. The show will feature will include philosophical interviews with special guests Ashley Driscoll, Benji Eisen, Scott Marks, uh, Lynn Nistedrin, of Augustana Arts and Kim Sia. This is a collaboration between the Mockingbird Foundation, Public Philosophy Journal, and Osiris Media. The podcast celebrates the launch of the Public Philosophy Journal's special issue about fish and philosophy. That will be Saturday. Awesome guests, awesome deep dives, awesome thoughts um, from our friends over at the Mockingbird Foundation. And then finally on Sunday, we're closing things out strong. Tom Marshall will be there with guests to discuss Fish's summer 2022 tour and the larger Dick's run. So two things to remember. Wow. Osiris Live at the Larimer Lounge on August 31st, and then HF Pod Live from the Dick's lot all four days. Come find us. Jonathan and I will be there. Megan, I wish, wish you could be there. Matt will be there. Tom will be there. It's going to be a great, great time. Cannot wait for it. What a way to close the summer out. Oh my God, that's an amazing lineup. That is stacked. There's so much to do. And some of our Wook Plus friends there too, I think, right? Our Wook Plus compatriots will be there for one of the days with us. They'll be there on Thursday with us to talk through. We'll do a breakdown of the Taper's Choice show, highlight where they're going to be because they're going to be doing a bunch of podcasting on the lot, and then they're going to hang with us for that breakdown of Dick's history. It's going to be awesome. We'll tell you more about it over the next couple of days. Really stoked. It's going to be so great. I'm excited for you guys, and I can't wait to hear all about it. And we'll be doing some recaps. I think I'll be doing recaps on Saturday and Monday for the run so people can kind of see those quick hits that I'll be doing while you guys are out having fun at Dick's. I'll be holding down the floor. Absolutely. You'll be holding it down <laughs> virtually. I can't wait. I've already started yeah. packing. I love that. You got all your teas? No, I haven't touched those. It's a very complicated process to figure out which <laughs> shirts will go when. <laughs> I listen. I know. I spent a lot of time thinking about my show outfits, Jonathan. I totally feel you. It's a it's a big process. 
All right. Should we right. actually finally get into Magnaball here? What do you guys think? Let's yeah, jump sure. to Magnaball. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's do it. I thought it'd be cool to talk about like where Fish was as they were heading into Magnaball. I mean, this is their 10th festival. They have like pretty solid summer tour. Trey's off fairly well. I'm curious as to what you guys think they were kind of feeling about when they're heading into Magnaball. Um, at the risk of being the hyperbolic member of HF pod, I'm going to speak in a bit of hyperbole. Uh, I was listening back through not just Magnaball, but also, um, some of my favorite moments from summer 2015, um, to show my cards immediately. Summer 2015 is still my favorite fish tour since the 1.0 era. I think it is, uh, deeply creative. Uh, I think that it shows a level of growth. Um, at a rate from 2014 to summer fit 2015 that I had personally never seen as a fish fan. I know that it happened in the past, but before my time, I had never gone from a year of fish that was good, had moments to a year of fish that consistently blew my mind. Um, the closest I can compare it to is 2021, where it just felt like on a nightly basis, we were hearing totally new music. We were hearing uh, the band take risks that were paying off. We were hearing full shows that you wanted to go back and re-listen to. That was happening in summer 2015 in a way I had not experienced much in my, at that point, 15 years being a Fish fan, just based on when I started listening to the band. Um, the other thing I'll say is, you 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 mentioned it, but like you can't mention Magnaball, you can't mention summer 2015 without a, a serious focus on fairly well. Um, this felt like it's easy to overlook this now, but it felt at the time, like the grateful dead camp had looked at fish and it looked at Trey specifically and said, you guys have, I don't want to use the word torch, but like you guys have what we created and you are now bringing this out into the world. And you also have the ability to continue doing this as a collective unit and Trey's emotional outpouring at fairly well, which led into as Brian Weinstein's posting in the comments here, this outpouring of new material that felt like it had always been a part of fish, which also translated into immediate segments of music like shoreline set two, uh, Atlanta night one set two, Nashville, these moments that felt timeless and, and eternally a part of the band. So there was this kind of meeting of past, present, and future where Fish was at at that point in time. That was extremely exciting, and musically, there's just so much to go back and dive into. I want to largely agree with you, Brian. So I won't <laughs> spend a lot of time on how great summer 2015 Fish was because it is. You're right; it is a high water mark tour for the band in the 3.0 era. Um, and I do look back at Fairly Well as having a lot to do with it. I think a lot of fans do. But I do see Trey's involvement with Fairly Well a little differently. I mean, Trey was selected because he's got chops and he can sell tickets. They mm -hmm. like Trey mm -hmm. too. That doesn't hurt. You know, Phil would work with him. Phil likes him. Phil uh, picks his players carefully and sure. uh, held veto power in the whole thing. And so... That's a large part of why Trey's there. However, Trey embraced that opportunity wholeheartedly mm. and worked his butt off to be able to 
deliver what he felt was due in that job. And uh, then we, fish fans, first of all, I went to Fairly Well. It was rad. Then that rest of the summer, we benefited from it. Trey was warmed up, had fresh ideas uh, based on his research, not just practicing and learning songs, but learning, researching Trey's Trey, excuse me, Jerry's evolving style over the years mm-hmm. in each song and uh, and tone. Also a couple toys. So we got a little more envelope filter in 2015 than any other year. Totally. And, uh, you hear it throughout the tour. You hear it throughout Magda Ball. Um, it's, it's definitely you know, the, the peak of that high water mark, I think, is this festival. Yeah, I think that the thing that stands out to me is just the diversity of sounds and the jams. Like the jams all sound really different in a way that's so exciting. And I think that obviously is a factor from all those things that we just talked about. It's it's an incredible time to listen back to and especially listening to these three shows. They're pretty spectacular. I think also to to both of your points, I was thinking about this when listening back to a bunch of summer 2015 over the last couple of days. It's wild to me what is missing from what will come over the preceding seven years. Page has not added multiple synthesizers mm. to his rig. That is not something he's going to. He's going to the roads a lot. He's going to the, um, I'm blanking on his other keyboard that sounds, ah, we need Ryan Whirly. Storm here. His Whirly, <laughs> thank you. He's, he's, he's going yeah. to his Whirly a lot. There's the a lot of- too. The piano stands out too. There's a ton of jams where he just hangs on the grand Mm -hmm. piano. Um, Trey does not have the synthesizer pedal that we would hear starting in the 4.0 era. So Trey is, he's still playing the, um, like the, the whale call as people called it a lot, but he's incorporated it a lot more, the whammy (laughs) pedal a lot more nicely. There's some really great looping from Trey. Um, but the, the sounds of the band, Mike Gordon is much more present than he would be in like 2021. John Fishman is still John Fishman. Like there's really no change there. It's, there's just no yeah or any of those sound effects. But like the, the sounds that you're hearing across the band for the first time sound like it's from a different era. Whereas I would listen to a lot of 2015 throughout 17, 18, 19, even during the pandemic. And it felt like present day fish to me. And now I listen back to it and it feels the way that like listening to 1997 or listening to 1995, Mm. where it feels of a time and place. And it's so wild to hear that and think of like how much they've evolved since then. Yeah, definitely. It's cool. I think before we talk about the shows, can we talk just a little bit about the soundcheck jam? Because it's awesome. Can we? Can we? Please. This sound check jam is just, it's so funky. You know, this is totally my shit. It's like they're quoting the field of burn, which is just puts it right in that moment in time during that, you know, presidential election with like Bernie Sanders. Just so funny to think of like a moment in time captured in a jam. I love that. But it's just got such a great groove to it. The jam is so searching, but in like the best way. Trey keeps playing this like hopeful guitar line. It's a true journey. It's 45 minutes of just awesome music. I love it. I was looking back at some things from contemporaneous uh, posts on like a fish message board, which I've been a part for a long, long time. 
And and I, you know, I was kind of surprised to see somebody right after the drive-in jam write that that was cool, but the soundcheck jam was better. The soundcheck jam was a more of a sectional jam, had a lot of different modes and stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. you know, um, and I'm not gonna harp on one being better than you know. I don't do that, but uh, I found it an interesting distinction and mm-hmm. totally spot on. It's a great jam. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I find it's easier to listen to than the drive-in jam, but that's also just because of the kind of jams that I like, but I found it easier to listen to. The beginning of the drive-in jam, we'll talk about it, but we'll get I like the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> I think it speaks to two things. I think one, you know, the the other example that we have of the other two examples that we have of this, I guess, well, no, I guess lemon wheel is the same. So three other examples are Clifford ball, where you have the full sound check jam on display and then you have the flatbed jam. Um, lemon wheel, Jonathan, and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. That sound check is, has two very distinct jams that are just like gooey and just the type of thing that like, if you want fun, danceable, excited, excited fish go right there. Um, this is in the vein of that Clifford Ball sound check, that Lemon Wheel sound check, where it's you hear the band's excitement and you hear them realizing in the moment, like, oh my God, we're about to play another one of these things. Where we're on this big stage and it's just a giant field, and everyone who's coming here is about to make the experience what it is. Um, the other example I was thinking about, it's a very different type of jam, but it's the difference between the it sound check jam versus the it tower jam. The soundcheck jam is very free form. Um, it has moments of, you know, bubbly excitement that they would get to sometimes in summer 2003, whereas the tower jam, the flatbed jam, the ambient jam feel very intentional and focused the way that the drive-in jam does. There's a theme that they're going after and that can make yep. it a little bit more challenging from time to time. The last thing I want to say is like one thing that's important to note is this soundcheck jam happened in the rain. It was raining like crazy in Watkins Glen that day, which brings back immediate memories to, to uh, Coventry from 11 years prior. This idea of like, you know, rain at a festival late August in the Northeast. Like, is this really the right place for us to do this? And unfortunately, previews a festival that should have happened but didn't happen and didn't happen because of rain uh, and water issues at the same site. So I recall I was packing my car up. I had gotten home from work. I was packing my car up and I had my phone in my pocket blasting this sound check jam. And I remember just being like, just get on the road, get on Maryland, get into Pennsylvania. Pretty soon fish from the archives is going to come on the bunny and you're going to get to your hotel tonight and everything's going to be okay. And I pulled in, the rain had subsided. It was still wet outside, but then I woke up the morning of the 21st and it was absolutely per- perfect outside. And it so would be for the rest uh, of the weekend. My road trip mantra is get out of Maryland. Everything else will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just get past that and you're good. <laughs> No matter where I went when I lived in Maryland, it was like, just get the fuck out of this state as quickly as possible and you're going to be okay. <laughs> also, going back to why you don't go to Meriwether Post, right, Jonathan? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Well, should we get into this first set here of the 21st? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Brian, set the stage for us. You were there. I was there. Um, so 
August 21st is my wife's birthday. And uh, like I said, we, we were expecting a child. So we were approaching this festival a little bit differently than we would have in a different scenario. We stayed about 20 minutes off site in a, uh, in a nice little motel, fish fans there as well. We got some great little breakfast and lunch before we hit the road. I had to work a little bit that morning, so I couldn't get in like full festival mode until like one o'clock in the afternoon. We drove up there. This back road drive was absolutely gorgeous. Everything was green. There idyllic farmhouses everywhere. There was hills you go over and you could just like see forever. And then you go over another hill as you could see forever. I remember we were listening to the man set two, which had happened uh, 11 or nine days prior and was like the high point of the summer to that point. I that, that second set. Oh my God, man, that is such an incredible second set. But we pull in, they're selling fiddlehead and, um, what was the other beer that they were selling? Uh, my God, I'm blanking on it again. Um, I will, I will remember this as, as the conversation goes on, but they were selling these just like amazing new England beers. Um, and they had great food. And in one tent, there were like people in monkey costumes set up just doing random stuff, which immediately made you feel like you were tripping. There were these like cardboard cutouts of, uh, it was not Sierra Nevada foam. It was who, who makes like Edward and like the really high end beer in the, the, the new England area. They make a beer called Edward. Someone Google this for me. Um, anyway, the Glurt Institute, Brian Weinstein, you know, this all, Thank you, um, Brian. <laughs> there were these cardboard cutouts of these aliens that had been on the cover of all the live fish uh, releases throughout the summer. So like the art installation so of cool. Magnaball felt in line with the summer tour. It was just, it was incredible. The, the sun was out. It was beautiful. Walked up, got a great spot. Uh, our friend RJP, I met up with him. I met up with Brad. I met up with Patrick Hickey, Hill Farmstead. Thank you, Jackson Richards. I met Jackson for the first time at Magnaball. That oh my God. That's awesome. awesome. Um, but we got set up. We were just a little bit behind soundboard. It was like that perfect hour of the day where the sky is just pink on the horizon and you didn't know what was coming and the band walked out and they perfectly open up this summer of jamming and deep jamming with simple that goes into a jam before going into the dogs. It was just the perfect way to set things up. So I could go on, but let's just dive into what we think are the uh, highlights here because the set rules. I do want to say, I think that simple opener is a bit of a highlight. It's just such a statement and it's so gorgeously played. And it, I think that it just sets the tone perfectly for the whole set. I do too. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, yeah, it, uh, you hear the band just like exploring right out the gates. It's like, Hey, we're at a festival where we have, there's nobody checking the clocks here. It's the best it's feeling. Kind of- I think, go ahead, Jonathan. That's kind of contrary to that sensation that Trey seems to have felt at the beginning of the Great Went, mm. where he, you know mm. he says at the end of the set, you know, on the the hot mic, if you will, that uh, you know yeah. he felt like they were rushing, and you know we got nothing but time here. Well, clearly they hit the stage with that in mind here, and they relaxed, recognized for everybody. We got it simple, and just kind of got into it, and had fun with the nice fun set. Really great energy throughout the whole set, even with like stopping to sing happy birthday. It doesn't affect the flow. It's just like a really touching moment. Trey seems super appreciative to be there. 
I actually also really love Mock Song. Bring yeah. this back, yeah. right? It's just such yeah, a cool, cool song. I mean, and the ending is awesome. It's just, this is a great song. I think they should bring it back. But my highlight is definitely the gin because it is. It's a perfect bookend. You know, they start with a jam, end with a jam. And this is, Fisherman is so relentless in this gin. I mean, it's trancy and cool and it just ebbs and flows. It gets like quieter and then louder and that great buildup at the end with the cool synths. It's just beautiful gin. I love it. It's great. Bathtub gin had been this really remarkable highlight in 2009. There's an incredible version uh, from The Gorge, August 7th, my, my favorite show of 2009, that really showcases the improvisational abilities of the song coming out of 2.0 is just like every gin in 2.0 you need to listen to. It's unbelievable. Um, and then it kind of had fallen into this place of, it was a very solid 11 minute hose peak. And it never really changed. And it gave you exactly what you could have wanted. And every time bathtub gin ended, you walked away being like, that was the greatest bathtub gin ever, right? And it wasn't, but it didn't matter. <laughs> it felt like it. Like that was the whole point of bathtub yeah. gin. It was like Julius and then, at the time, you know, Julius is yeah, really straight exactly. ahead, but it rips. It's always rips. Like, Every yes. time you walk away, you're like, there couldn't have been a better version than that. But you know, it was just like, it was 11 <laughs> minutes. It was very solid. This version starts out like that. And I remember when they started it thinking, okay, they're going to play gin and then they're going to play like Bowie to end this set. And instead they take bathtub gin in a place that they hadn't taken it since 2009, I want to say. And uh, it was that moment where you realized if the simple gave a hint to it, this gin gave you the sensation that this band does not care about the time right now. They're full of creativity. They're ending a summer where every single show had these moments of just transcendence. And they're going to condense all of that into three days. Yeah, I'm I'm all in on this gin as my highlight for this set. It is an absolute hose. It is just gorgeous. Like straight up gorgeous. Um but high energy and nonstop. It is exactly what you really what you really hope gin could be in three point oh. And uh mm -hmm. yeah, it's like I was jamming it out you know, in the, on the patio, working the grill the other day. And it was just absolutely pumping me full of energy. It was too great. It's pretty and then you just walk off the stage after that. Yeah. Just walk yeah. off the stage after that. Perfect. Right, I just walked away from the grill. I was like, what else is there to do out here? <laughs> I'll be back, <laughs> at, back in 15 minutes, guys. You guys cook yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah you just drop the tongs. Like I'm done. Yeah. I love what Jackson says here is that one amazing thing about fish festivals is that the vibe completely changes once the first set of music ends. It's like the band has finally joined us at the party. It's a really cool thought yeah, and feeling. Yeah, I mean, all that anticipation, the buildup, even when you're you're finally there and everybody's like, yeah, we made it. Woo, we're here. And, you know, you get your camp set up and you get your thing, you get your coolers and you have your first beers and then you take a little walk around and then it's time to go in. You go in, everybody goes, everybody's this. It's a it's almost a nervous energy. Yeah. Akin to just about any show, but totally different from a regular show. And totally. then totally yeah. pops off and everything's great. And and, you know, you got seven more sets ahead of you or whatever <sighs> it is. And, you know, it's not a bad way to be. 
especially well, when they play really, like that. Well, it's a really good point. Just like what Jackson said here, I want to say, I want to comment on what Russ Tab says here as well. Cause you asked like to set the vibe and I'm just, I'm starting to remember things as we talk about this. When you walk into Magnet Ball, one of the things about this this setting is it is so clean and so well maintained and it's so well mm. laid out. Um, so like you're walking in and you have enough space. There's, I remember walking past like a dad and his like three-year-old and I remember being like, oh my God, like I, I, I would be able to do this with my kid in the future. This is like the perfect place to bring them. <laughs> but like you walk past at one point this giant movie screen that says Magnaball on the top of it. And it has just like graphics on it. And I remember my first thought, and I think everybody's first thought was, okay, that's probably where the secret set is going to go down if this happens this weekend. And so to Jackson's point, you're, you, the attendee, are already consuming what the festival is. And there's other people there, but the band is backstage. And until they walk out, they've walked the grounds, but until they walk out, they don't totally know what exactly is about to happen. But as Russ says here, Russ Tab says, big first, big time first set jams weren't quite as common back then. You knew it was going to be a festival fish from there on out. One thing to consider with this is Festival 8 and Super Bowl, they're all great in their own rights. I don't want to take anything away from them, but they fit the era that fish was in, which was slightly timid, slightly conservative, slightly, hey, we've still got to lay the foundation of who we're going to be. By 2015, that is all out the window. They're no longer thinking about building blocks. It is just, they're building the road as they walk out on it. And Magnaball was the first festival that felt like what a festival felt like in the 90s and early 2000s in the sense of like, all these ideas, all this creativity is all going to be coalesced here in this field where there's no rules there's no nothing to stop us type of thing that has yeah, to feel sorry, thrilling for it. them i think there was a lot more to. sense of intentional structure in those super mm-hmm. and eight you know they were trying to get back to something but they were yeah, I yeah. Mean, that's all that fish was doing in their career at that moment was really trying to get back to something whereas by in 2015 they didn't have to get back anywhere. They were there. They were there. Yeah. They were there. Already there, which is a too good bad we don't have a. Too. It is. And it's too bad we don't have a hot mic from after that set because I bet they had some nice things to say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so set two. Um, this is a great set. What are what are your highlights? Jonathan, what are your highlights from this set? Oh, I just skipped it. Didn't look like anything worth listening to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, All those arrows a, and carrots. It's kind of nonstop mm-hmm. awesome. What are these symbols? Right? Yeah. Jeez. Like Harry Hood's right in the middle and arrows yeah. going in and out of it. You know, chalk dust is long and stretchy. And I, I should know like what I sent you guys when I was listening to it, but I don't. It was just... um. <laughs> It's I think you said probably the my highlight because uh, it's it just rips. Um, it goes. I, I think actually, I think my highlight is is the ghost. the The chalk dust is great, not the mm-hmm. greatest chalk dust I've ever heard, but it's great. And um, the ghost, though, I think is my highlight because they get in this weird, weird psychedelic space that. Yeah. Um, this is the thing that I sent you. Um, it it sounded like Trey forgot that he wasn't playing Split Open and Melt during <laughs> the Ghost. Like he's doing this like riffing kind of late in it, and it's just it 
kind of could break your brain under the right circumstances. Mm. Um, fortunately, I, I was very together at the time. So it's fine. <laughs> yes, delivering a, a child to college, you were you were in a, no, in a strong mind state. <laughs> I mean, yesterday that was. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, yesterday too. Grilling and <laughs> stuff. <laughs> that chalk dust into ghost into rock and roll is my highlight because you've got this like gorgeous, delicate jam in chalk dust, but it has kind of like a somber tone to it. It's it's really interesting, and then the ghost like trancy monster but then pages on the piano somehow and it just works so well. It's so driving. And then this rock and roll. Now, whenever I think of this song, I think of you, Brian, but this version is so awesome. The energy is just through the roof. They're like yelling and you can hear like when Trey comes in with the back vo backup vocals, him and Fishman are like screaming it and it like makes Paige laugh and they're just like, the energy is just amazing and then ends in this like cool laid back jam and a perfect transition into hood. I think that whole, I mean, the whole set's incredible, but the first three songs are just amazing. Yeah. You know, this is right there with me with the best sets of the summer and, you know, them opening yeah. up the festival with a set like that felt like they were in tune with the way that they'd been playing really well throughout the summer. And I think about, um, shoreline set two. Uh, I think about seven thirty one and eight one set two from Atlanta, Nashville, eight, four blossom, eight, seven man, eight, 12 as these sets that felt like a true narrative arc. And it didn't matter what songs were actually played during those sets there were going to be significant improvisational highlights, which flowed into another song with significant f improvisational highlights, which would flow into a perfectly timed ballad, which would then contain mm -hmm. more improvisation on the back end, which would close out with a big, big song like a slave, like a hood, like a Bowie. These, these were sets that were, you know, this is at a point in Fisher's career where the newest songs are the wingsuit songs, which have been, road tested like crazy a year prior and are now they're not feeling forced to play them. They're, they're throwing them in where and when they belong. Um, and then the chilling, thrilling songs, which we're finding just more like scattered, like for like comedic, you know, breakup and, and, and moments where like they want to just kind of like uh, have some fun with the audience. Um, but then you have these new songs, the blazons, the no man in no man's land that are immediately, hitting as fish songs. And so you have in this set, the moment you guys are talking about the chalk dust ghost rock and roll hood, where that is a set to itself. Like that is a set of music right yeah, there. Complete absolutely. Ideas. And then we come on a hood, we fade into waste great time ballad right there. And then no man comes on and no man, it doesn't go type two, but like it has a segment of exploration that then goes perfectly into slave. And that gives us the second, set to closer in a single second set. It just, it flows really well. It feels open-ended. It works that, that kind of sadness you're talking about in the Chakta's torture works really well with just the vibe of being in a field in, you know, farmland of upstate New York. There's just something about it that um, it hit hard. Then it hits hard when I listen back to it. And I, I love this set. This is my favorite show of the overall weekend. And I part of a huge part of it is that this set when I press play on Chalk Dust, I do not skip. I do not do anything else. I felt the same way about this show. I don't know if it's because I listened to it 
really completely the whole entire show back this weekend. And it just, it flows so well and just has so much intentional playing. Like you were saying, Jonathan, there's a real intentionality to all the jams. They all sound so different. There's such a diversity to, to textures. And I think it's amazing. I think that there are high peaks in the other shows that are, you know, make it debatable, but um, I love yeah, the show as a I agree with that. show. Mm-hmm. We can definitely put together two really good two set shows from the next couple nights. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to, yeah. I, <laughs> I just want to highlight really quick. I think this is a really good yeah. rhetorical question, but it's something we should address quickly. I know my answer. I think I know your answers, but thank you, Brian Weinstein. The eternal HF pod question. Do set lists matter? Megan. They matter only when they're not playing incredibly well. When they're playing incredibly well, it doesn't matter. Jonathan? Maybe. <laughs> Look, there's an exception to every rule, including this rule that mm. I've just stated. Um, so I'm just going to say maybe. Yeah, That's I think I'm fair. right there with you guys. I think I think when they're playing at their best, and I think that Magna Ball showcases it, it does not matter what songs they play. I think that there are set lists from this past summer, from 2021, where it does not matter what songs they played. It does not matter. Mm-hmm. Atlantic City yeah. built around brand new fish songs. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Don't need to be old classics to, to work. But um, yeah. All right. Cool. I just like that question. Thank you. It's a good question. Okay. So then we're going into the next day. So Brian, what did you do the next day? So it was a Saturday. I didn't have mm-hmm. to work. I didn't have to, I, I'd given my wife gifts. We'd had a great day at Magna Ball the day before. We got a good night's sleep. And Trey sang happy up, birthday we went, on her birthday. I mean, that's pretty cool. He did. And I did call like, like six or seven people around me together and say, Hey, it's her birthday too. They all turn and sang the song. <laughs> so like we, we like to joke that Trey was singing happy birthday to my wife, but really he was singing it to his daughter, which I, I get, I get, um, we got up the next morning. We were in Elmira. We got a great diner breakfast. I got an awesome omelet with some coffee. And then we made our way up to Magna Ball. The show was starting around three o'clock, I seem to remember. We had friends who were camping on site. So we just drove up, got there probably 11 a.m., wandered in, wandered past Shakedown, made our way over to where our friends were at. And, you know, you got to understand the only other fish festival I went to was Coventry. So to walk into like a really well, nice setup, great vibes festival was a very new thing. Like this was something I'd been waiting for, for 15 years of my life. I I went to Coventry thinking I was finding this and it was like, it was very dark. And so for the next decade, I was like listening to this band thinking like at some point I'm going to experience this and Magna Balls when I experience it. So we just wander the campgrounds. Went and met up with some friends, some of Susie's friends that she used to tour with back in 2.0 were way off in one area that was really cool. You had a huge view of the whole festival. Um, We had other friends who were closer to the stage. So we just kept kind of bouncing around, amassing a group. I had a bunch of great beer with me, just like awesome, awesome beer with me. I just like, I had like coolers full of amazing beer the whole weekend, was passing it out to people, was drinking it with other people. It was killer. It was great. Sounds awful. dreamy. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I hear that. It was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally it one of my favorite weekends I've podcast. ever lived on this entire planet. 
Oh, right? Sounds so good. <laughs> sounds amazing. So, Brian, what was your highlight or highlights from this first set then? Um, so I, I'm going to call an audible here. It's I don't scabbard, totally have like, <laughs> I, I love the scabbard. <laughs> I don't have a musical highlight from this first set. It's, it's to me, this is the perfect afternoon, no stakes festival first set. I don't think that there's any, like the run mm. like an antelope's got some really cool moments. The, how many people are you has some cool moments. The divided sky opener. It's my favorite fish song to open that festival. It's just like, it's perfect. But to me, it was about it being sunny beautiful day two of a three-day festival i was outside with friends you know that perfect buzz on and you knew that when they left the stage there were still three sets of music that were coming so to me it was literally just the vibe of this overall set i, I know that's a bit of a cop-out but that's my answer i'm sticking to it i think that's a fine answer mm-hmm. honestly it's um we were talking about this before we went live. This set has a lot of songs. It's not bad. Yeah. Um, it's 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 just a lot of songs, as you say. Antelope has a little bit of stuff. I think I might would say the Divided Sky because it's just an outstanding opener and it's a good version. And uh, yeah, either that or Halfway to the Moon. But that's just me, so. no. That Halfway to the Moon has amazing peaks. It's a really it good does. version. That was one of my highlights. I I think this is an awesome version of that song, and nice. it's cool because this set they're playing like a lot of different songs, like you know, Army of One or How Many People Are You and Scabbard songs that they don't play very often, but they're working them in yeah. in a way that like works well. I think which is cool. They do that a lot through this festival, like play songs like rarities, but they don't sound they don't kind of stand out. They kind of flow, which is really nice. I think the antelope too has an insane monster peak and it's just like the perfect way to like end an afternoon set. And then Trey says, is everyone awake now? Which is so great. I love it. What about you? What's your highlight? Start the day. I mean, I think my highlight's probably the halfway to the moon or the antelope. I think they're just really strong. Yeah. And they just, both really great peaks. Also, how many people are you has been stuck in my head since I listened to this. It's it's kind of a cool song. I like it. I don't hate it. I wish that they would play that song way more. I think right? it's one of Mike's better songs of the era. Yeah. It's catchy. It's very catchy. It's kind of like an earworm. It is very catchy and every time I've heard them play it, there's a moment where you're like they're gone out of the song and there's like there's a tension in that song where it feels like what we got with mole this summer that they they want to explore yeah. it and they just don't for some reason i don't necessarily need them to but it's it's there and just as a song standpoint i think it's 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 one of mike's better accomplishments explore everything um, everything open, yeah. open everything up everything. one song sets please Oh Do my it. God, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Maybe that'll be the so festival next year. I'm so happy all at the same time. <laughs> People won't know what to do. Everybody would just say, I went to see fish and set one was mull. <laughs> How many people are you? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. It played six songs, man. <laughs> Unheard of. Um, Brian, what did you do in the afternoon before the evening shows? Uh, we made our way over to our friend's campground or campsite that was quite far from the entrance. And we just, we remember we just hung out and we played music and we chilled out and we, you know, 
we smoked a little bit and we shared some beers and we got some food Wait, and we just like smoke it, these things. That's yeah, crazy. just a little, just a little bit. Um, I will say, I just remembered this. We're walking into the festival grounds ahead of set two and I'm carrying a backpack because my wife is 31 weeks pregnant. She's not carrying a backpack at the festival. She's not carrying okay? anything. She's not carrying anything. Okay. She's carrying this a baby. Not, okay. She's, she is carrying our air. You know, so like, you know, we, 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 I'm, I'm letting her, you know, she, she's just going in herself. So I was like three or four people behind her and they're doing a bag check and they pull out her prenatal vitamins. And the Uh-oh. security guard was like, I don't know, 17 years old. And he was like, what's this? And I was right. like, my wife's prenatal vitamins. And he was like, we got to check these. And I was like, they're literally like, and I'm calling her name and trying to get her like back and. I was like losing my patience is the one point of the weekend where I was just like, dude, like I'm not smuggling in drugs here, like in the top of a backpack. Like my wife needs to no, access they're further these. down. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> right. Dig budget. deeper, man. <laughs> <laughs> but finally, like I get her attention. She comes over and she's like, and she just like points to her belly and goes, yeah, these are my prenatal vitamins. Guy was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean anything by it. And I just like, grabbed <laughs> Like those actually were drugs. No, um, yeah, exactly. that was, that was just like, Sucker. it was one of those moments where I was like, are we really, like, are we really doing bag checks here? I'm already into the festival. Like, why are you, why are you going through my bag right now? Tell you about when we arrived at big Cypress in the middle of the night with a sleeping three-year-old in the back seat, And they wanted to like, you know, rummage the car and I popped the trunk. No. And they were like, wanted to look in the back seat, And I was like, all right, you wake her up. We're staying until she falls asleep. Exactly. You're going to pay for that. You're going to, you're going to pay the price. That's on you, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're paying for that one. After sitting Everything in traffic, God in. knows. <laughs> it was, yes. Yeah. Oh my God. That's crazy. I do recall just like similar to the night before, like the, and, and I have pictures um, I could, I could send from this, but like the way the sun set on this field, there were like just enough pine trees and there was the, um, there was the uh, what? What the fuck is the thing where you get on and you ride over in a circle? Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel. Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> the Ferris yeah, wheel is all lit up and the sun. Um, one thing I didn't mention on day one. There it is. One thing I didn't mention on day one was you didn't know this until it got dark enough. But they had, and maybe this was at Super Bowl, so I don't want to speak out of turn. But they had lighting rigs set up along the pine trees along the festival side so it wasn't just the lights on the stage when Kuroda would light things up he would light up it was in the crowd as well it was just like a nice wow, little additional that's touch. so cool Sweet. And, and as brian says everyone was smiling every single person i met was big big vibes oh, that's amazing well i mean there's not much to talk about in this second set right no yeah. it's just kind yeah. of an that's average okay. yeah it's like a wolf man's or something i don't know I mean, they play number line and backwards down the number line. How how good can it be? Well, so good that they put the Caspian and the Tweezer on a record that I have right here. So good, so good. It's pretty rad. So good. Pretty rad. I mean, before we talk about that, maybe we should just say if there's anything else we want to point out from this from this set, because then we'll get into this. Forty six days. Yeah, I'd like to talk about the forty six days. Um, 46 ahead, days had a really good su- it had a really good summer 
um, it's something to keep in mind. Like it had a really good diversion from Miami 2014, 2015, uh, that, that new year's run was quite good, but the summer was really good for this song. Particularly, there was a great version from Austin, I believe. And then, um, Meriwether had an amazing version that went into bug and this version, when it started out of Haley's, I kind of knew, okay, we're, we're getting, this is going to be the big jam, like the first jam of the day. Mm-hmm. And this version, I swear, goes into a two versions of me jam that just like phew, hits me like a ton of bricks. I love it. I I hear that in there, but I want to just mm. say right before that, you can hear Trey playing quite slowly the uh, Prince Caspian melody. Mm, yes. So go back and check that Really? Out. I'm going to have to listen back to that. That's amazing. It is really beautiful. It's like cinematic this jam it's just absolutely gorgeous and it segues beautifully into backwards down the number line i really like that and everybody got really mad and started hugging and high-fiving their friends yeah and they were like oh it's a very joyful number line (laughs) (laughs) it was interesting because um number line uh now that i'm saying it i'm blanking on when they played it at super bowl but it was very specifically placed at festival eight it kicked off the third set after the um uh after the uh, uh rolling stones uh exile album it was cool that we had gotten to a point in 3.0 where number line was just kind of thrown into a set it didn't need to be this like tent pole placement it was just like here you you know we're going to hear it you know we're going to play it we know we're going to celebrate it here it is right here in the middle of set 2 you're so welcome. Num- yeah, number line, it had number not, line has an intro that does not is not conducive to coming out of a lot of jams, and there's yes. two things that happen: either the jam stops and Trey starts playing it, or he discards that like strummed intro. Maybe there's three things. Every now and then, they completely managed to incorporate it i think that happens here yeah but it has i think really disrupted flow for a lot of people because of that intro yeah i think i mean even atlantic city this year it it had a it had a hard harsh intro and so it does still do that but this one is beautiful and it's great and i was super happy to hear it (laughs) all right should we tackle this monster Tweezer, Caspian. Can we talk about whether it's Tweezer into Prince Caspian or Tweezer, Caspian, Tweezer? Or Yeah, I want to hear your yes, side of this. Because I remember yes. people were mad about that. And I think some people still are, and I don't really care. I, I am one of those people. Yeah. I, I have, I have You're very still mad specific about it? opinions on this. I do okay. too. Jonathan, what do I you think? Hear I, don't, I don't care. I, I, I feel like they play Tweezer, <laughs> then they play Prince Caspian, and they jam, and it's really, it's kind of a thing. It's a piece. It's a one mm. it's one thing. It's awesome, also. But I've always liked Prince Caspian, too. I know plenty of people who will say that, you know, Caspian ruins a show. They're um, wrong. Well, I, I can think of one in particular, but even he likes this one. I'm looking at you, Well, you Dave. have to like this one, but I love that song. I am firmly in the camp that this is Tweezer into Prince Caspian. Um, I've listened back to this so many times. I've heard so many people, people that I really respect their ears and their musical opinions on say, if you listen from this segment second to this second, you can hear Trey play the Tweezer riff. 
I hear him playing around the tweezer riff and I hear him going back into the, but he never hits the riff. And every time they ever go back into tweezer, there is always a fishman drum is right in line with Trey. It's going back into tweezer and then they go into a jam. It never happens. Um, is it as Jackson, Jackson says Jackson here in Richard the comments? An intent, an intentionally tweezery jam. Yeah, sure. I think that they like find a minor and go into it that way. I just think a. I always have liked Prince Caspian, and b. I think Prince Caspian deserves this moment. It was so great. It was so like monumental when it happened, and that to me, like Tweezer has enough of these. Tweezer has so many moments and still does to this day where you're like, holy shit, the blank Tweezer. We needed the Magnaball Caspian. Um, I will say just one last thing about this. Actually, two. Actually, probably three or four. No, two. Promise. One. You can say as many things as you want, Brian. (laughs) This Tweezer gets overlooked because of the Caspian, rightly so. But this Tweezer is gorgeous. It's right in line with the 46 days as like, this is the yin and the yang to... Mm -hmm the way that they could jam where like there was this big peak that comes out of Caspian. It's very subtle. It's gorgeous. Reminds me of the eight, one 15 tweezer, just a shorter version. But I distinctly remember when they start Caspian, I get a text from my brother who was not there and he goes, fuck Caspian here. I really liked that tweezer. And I just didn't respond. Cause I was like, I'm just going to let this be. Um, <laughs> we would text about 15 minutes later, but at the end of Caspian, there are, there are some very distinct moments that I've been I've seen fish where it feels like that crossover to a sports championship is re, is is achieved where you feel as though mm. like the dick's light is very much one of these. This felt to me like fish had just won the World Series. Everyone around me was high fiving. Everyone was hugging. I, I can't tell you how many strangers I hugged. People were jumping up in the air, just like fist bumping. Like it was not like a holy shit, that was a great musical moment. It was a like, we are so proud of you. We are so thankful you guys did this. Like it, it, it felt closer to sports than it did to music in a way that I just, it, it hits me in such a way. So um, I love, love this end of the set. It blew my mind. Oh my God. I love that. I love hearing that. Like, when people celebrate that moment in the moment is just so exciting. Like, I feel like there's so many, there's either two ways like these Epic jams go. Everybody's just sitting there with like their mouth open. Like, I think that's what like the 12, 30, 19 tweezer was for me on the floor at MSG. Everybody's mouth was just open. Like what is happening, but it's cool to hear it being kind of like celebratory and exciting. I mean, I think this tweezer is super creative and a gorgeous segue. And it's a really great jam even before they get into Caspian and this juicy Caspian jam is just everything you want it to be. The peaks are so soulful. And then there's like the trippy synths. It's just, I can hear the tweezer, but I think it's like what Jackson was saying that there's like tweezer vibes in the jam. It's there. Yeah. 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 I think they're, they're toying with it a little bit. It's true, Mm -hmm. but you're right. They don't really, they don't land on it. They're not playing it. Uh, But again, I don't really care. It doesn't matter. Write it however you want. It's awesome. And that is my very fancy technical way of saying that fish really achieved something. And I've been mm-hmm. at a few shows where we have, 
you know, we're, we're all like high-fiving each other because shit just went down and you were there and I was there and we just shared that and you danced awesome and I danced awesome and fuck yeah, <laughs> you know, love that. high fives all around. And um, I can see this being one of those. Uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. And, and as Jackson says here, when set two started, it was still pretty light out. By the time set two ended, it was night and everyone turned around with their minds completely blown. And that was it. I remember just like, it, it was one of those, sometimes like the lights come up after a set and people are already walking towards the exits or walking towards bathroom, you know, waters, food, whatever. It was one of those sets that ended and people kind of just like stood around for a minute and were like, okay, that happened holy shit, now I'm going to go and do what I need to do. Yeah, we need a minute to process. So then, how do you follow that up? I think that's that's what's amazing about them coming up to do this third set. It's like so hard to follow up. And they do an amazing job. So they job, just played but... meat stick. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when they opened with meat stick being very nervous. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We've just followed because I thought it was just. Folks. I just thought it was going to be just like a goofy set, and instead they leaned into this really cool balance between the subtle jamming from the night before, the subtle jamming in Forty Six Days and Tweezer, um, the peaking nature of the Prince Caspian, and whatever they were previewing for uh, the 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 drive-in jam. Blazon, Cities, The Mind Left Body Jam, and Light, that whole segment of music is up there with the best of anything that they played the entire festival. And it gets weird and it gets out there and it like showcases the band playing at like 11 30, 12 o'clock at night. Um, it's just, it's psychedelic fish in a way that you only get sometimes in the third set. I, I think that this whole segment from Blazon through Light, I would even throw 555 in there because the, the segue from Light into 555 is incredible. It just, it works as a complete statement like much of the rest of the, the festival. Yeah, the Blazon in particular, I want to say, I, I love the cities. I love what Fishnet calls a mind left body jam. Um, even if I, maybe I wouldn't, but that's neither here nor there. Um the blaze on has something kind of like that, uh, the jam and the ghost that I highlighted for the mm -hmm. previous day where it gets just freaking weird and it's a weird psychedelic playing. But in this case, there's a recognizable and repeated melodic thing that's happening. And what I realized it is, it's, it's actually like a weird ass take on the, the latter instrumental segment from a grup. Um, mm, mm, and this, I mm. listened to wow. it several times last night to kind of, you know, see if I'm crazy and I might be, <laughs> but, um, I was, you know, sober, so take it for what you will. Um, but that's what I heard. It, it is a lot like that bit and it is an outstanding version of that song. And so that, that stands as, yes, yeah, so here you go. Jackson Richards, this bla was Blazon's coming out party. Huge placement, yes. brand new song, jam completely delivered. And that is why that song is my highlight of this set. Yeah, it gets it's to a gorgeous place. Yeah. 
it's wild because this is the eighth version of Blazon. They had been playing it once every wow. two or three shows on the tour. They loved, loved playing Blazon at this point. Still do. And why wouldn't they? <laughs> Still do. Um, <laughs> but it is crazy. It's at seven years ago. So they played it eight times that summer. They've played it 65 times since. So in one tour, they played it like an eighth of the time that they've played it throughout the last uh, seven years. They loved this song. And to throw this not in the afternoon set, but to throw it here in set three was such a, this is where the song was going to go over the next couple of years. I just want to point out that, you know, people this summer were uh, reminiscing about how when they did, you know, way back when, when they didn't used to play repeats so often. Those people are imagining a time that doesn't exist. Yeah. Completely. Completely. 100%. These, these 2015 songs, they were played a lot this summer. Yeah. And I don't really remember anyone complaining because they were great songs and they fit in and you got blazons like this. And it's the same thing. You go back to like 95 fall. We heard all the Billy Breeze songs over and over again and we loved it. So they don't know what they're saying. Yeah. It goes, Give me more strange they, design. They make... Yeah, right. They make new music and they like to play it. And that's exciting. And all these songs are such classics now. It's crazy to think about a time when they didn't even exist. But but this Cities is my highlight because I love Cities. And also, I tried to read a little bit about this Mind Left Body Jam on .NET. And it is incredibly confusing. It's has like the most confusing back history coming through like, you know, Jefferson Airplane, Jefferson Starship, you know, all these Bay Area musicians descending chords that actually are descent come like derived from a Marvin Gaye song. I mean, it's very confusing, but it sounds cool in the jam. It has like a mustardy feel. I love it. The uh David Bowie from 61894 is a great place to like really just hear this as like an isolated thing, but um there's a number of dark stars from the early 1970s dicks picks 36 is just the one that's most recently um on my head because i was listening to that a lot over the last couple of weeks that has a very distinct mind left body jam um i'm right there with jonathan like I, i'm kind of surprised that they included this in the set list notes they also say that this is the first mind left body jam since november 13th 1998 473 shows i kind of feel like this is more of like a tease and a hint at it than like a full-on yeah. mind left body jam but it is a cool moment within this this cities and it's really cool that like you know the way the blazon goes into possum where you hear the loops that trey's playing while fishman's doing his drum intro the way that the cities goes into light and this light goes back into this percussive jam there's just a lot of thematic jamming throughout this whole segment of music that like regardless how you want to identify it it's it's all hyper creative music that leads you to think that they're writing songs in the moment yeah, there's so much of that throughout the whole weekend. And I think this set ending, like wading into Walls of the Cave is just beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, those two back to back, like just stunning compositions. It's Gorgeous. an emotional wave. Absolutely. Yeah. Washes right over. Totally. <laughs> totally. I'm here for it. And then they're like, and now you're going to just jam the fuck out with Boogie On and reprise. And those end... And they kind of just left us be. Nobody said anything about a fourth set. They just kind of said, see you tomorrow night. And nobody really left. Some people left. But for the most part, people were hanging out in the concert ground. 
And I remember going and buying a gyro because it was about 1130 at night and the food was still open because they kind of knew, okay, these people are going to need a little bit Smart. of food for one more set of music. And I turned to my wife and said, are you cool to be able to uh, hang out here for one more set that we don't know when it's going to start or when it's going to end? She said, I can do it. And so we made our way over towards that movie screen where everybody awesome. was at. She rules and we found a little spot, put down a blanket and we laid down and soon enough, the place just like filled up with people and everybody just kind of knew this is where it's about to be. And, um, then the band came on, I want to say it was about one o'clock in the morning, but I, I don't have the exact time set up. And, um, they played a set of totally improvisational, very dimly lit, somewhat industrial at times, but really melodic compared to the storage jam. It reminds me in a lot of points of the ambient jam from the lemon wheel um, where you hear fish just kind of testing out where are they going? Where's what is happening next? Where are we at right now? Where are we going? And uh, it's one of my favorite things I've ever, ever witnessed. And one of my favorite things the band has ever done. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I don't know that I didn't do really a good focused listening session with it to, to prepare for this, to be honest with you. I listened to it and I kind of listened to it the way I often do, which is not that often, but uh, as you know, I put it on and then I kind of carry on with my life and check in with it, you know, or really every now and then it kind of reminds me to check in with it. And I hear some shift in tone or, attitude and i it reminds me a lot of the tower jam and some of the other you know late night things the ambient jam that you mentioned brian and and they're wonderful these are this is like this is the kind of music that fish plays not completely irregularly but never for this amount of time yeah this is like a yeah minute, two minute passage in some other jam stretched out to 45 minutes or whatever it is, you know, uh, outstanding. Um, and I have watched the film and I think it's, it had to have been just like any of these other things, just amazing to be there. Um, I wish we had in our possession full length film like this of the tower jam and stuff that we have of the, uh, driving jam, but I agree just the amateur stuff so far. We'll take it. Yeah. It must've been so magical to be there. There's a review on .net by relax. And the last paragraph is so amazing. It says when it was over, I had the feeling of witnessing the after effect of the universe's big bang. That underlying force like water was hard, soft and flowing with both light and dark energy, the chaos, atomic gnashing and speed of expansion, the reach spinning into the unknown intense and resolute, it was all. At once, a singular sound careening off our atoms that continued to resonate as we walked quietly back to our resting places. Is that what it felt like, Brian? There was something very, very cosmic about it. Yeah, and I was listening yeah. back to it. Like It sounds like there's new age moments where it sounds as though the band is like, they're playing with with effects in a way that they never would. Like to Jonathan's point, a lot of this jam sounds like the transition from one song's jam to another mm -hmm. just expanded over 50 minutes. And yeah. 
like a lot of their late night sets, I think it's shocking how high quality it is. And I think it would be really, really incredible to hear them attempt this in a normal set standpoint. I'd imagine it would be very Mm -hmm. like, we talk about this as like, you know, people who spend hours online talking about this band. I think that, you know, the one thing you realize at a fish show is that like the diehards are a very, very small contingent of the overall show and fish. Sometimes they just have to hit the beats and the place just goes crazy because they're so good at that. So I think it'd be very uh, controversial if they ever attempted something like this, but it's really incredible how in the moment, how melodic and, and, song oriented so many improvisational segments are and the drive-in jam is right there that to hear them attempt this outside of a secret set would be really fascinating to me but um there's also that magic of it's it's after a show and it's it's a thing i don't think they would do it though i mean i don't either the the question that we were asked earlier is uh, do set lists matter do songs matter overlooks an our answer is all overlook an important part, which is they do to the band. The band mm-hmm. has songs. They like yeah. to play their songs and it's totally true. They like to jam out of them. But so this is a special, unique moment for them as much as it is for us. Yeah, and the songs are their launching pads, right? Like yeah. they need to be able to improvise with such diversity like you need different launching off points i don't know if need is the word like i think they want to do it that way yeah they want to play this song but they know they can go and jam or maybe they don't feel like jamming that today and so Mm -hmm. you know it's all interchangeable but they they want that they this i think kind of proves that they don't need it yeah no they don't want to be that band all the time yeah, and could you do well, this I every the, night? I don't think so. No, 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 no. I, I guess my, my thought Maybe. is just like one one time do like a secret Maybe set type could. of approach to a second set. But um, that'd be cool. You know, it is interesting. Like, I don't know how many people were at the t- the um, the drive-in jam. I don't know how many people were at the tower jam. It was definitely significantly smaller than the amount of people who were there to watch them play ninety minutes earlier when they were playing songs into a jam. And so I think to your point it is a subset of the community that would want something like this. And they know that the way to put on a rock show is to play a rock show that has improvisation. I think that that like the timing of these things does weigh into the the audience factor. And they probably are calculating that, but like, you know, I know plenty of people who were like, shit, I just was asleep. I didn't know about the tower. Um, (laughs) Then again, I also know plenty of people who were told to shut the hell up during the tower jam. Um, because we're trying to hear this. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, it kind of goes both ways. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it would not, like you and I would completely eat it up, but I guarantee we would see the heat and the disagreement if fish came out and, you know, drive and jammed an entire set. I'm willing to endure that sort of turmoil though. Agree. Yeah, one, I think they should try anything they they are inspired to do. One last thing I'll say about this this show because we've we've talked a lot about it. And we still have one more show we have to talk about from this oh weekend. God, there's more. Is there's more? Um, 
I think that this was the, it was like the third or fourth. It was a very early dinner in a movie. They did eight twenty two fifteen, and they started it early so that you could, inc- you know, you could have dinner while watching set one. And then they did sets two and three. And I remember Twitter, like it was one of my favorite Tuesdays of the whole pandemic because it was this three set show. You had, you know, these just amazing musical moments being played out. But there was a conversation starting around set two, set three of this show of are they going to do the drive-in jam? And they didn't say anything about it. And at the time, they play Boogie on Reggae Woman and Tweezer Reprise. They, you know, do the graphic. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next Tuesday or whatever it was. And then I went away. And I was watching TV afterwards, just, you know, kind of winding down before I went to bed. And I pull up Twitter and I think it was uh, Mike Minio, Lawn Memo, just said drive and jam five minutes. And I went onto YouTube and the first thing that popped up on, on the YouTube app was like broadcast starting soon. And I clicked in it and sure enough, there were a fraction of the people that were there to watch the entire dinner movie. But it felt just like Magnaball, where it was like, if you knew you're there and you're watching the drive-in jam and they showed the whole thing, it was unbelievable. I forgot about that. That's so awesome. I forgot they did that. That's super cool. So great. They're a pretty cool band. They are a pretty cool band. Best band. Should we do the final night? Yeah, we were talking about this before we went live about this first set because there's a lot of songs. So many songs. Mm Mm-hmm. But some highlights. I think ultimately, to me, this first set is the very... So four years prior, they played Super Bowl and they do the storage jam, which was this monumental moment. Um, I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole, but I think it's one of the most important things that happened before the Fuck Your Face show of summer 2012. They translated the energy around the storage gem into this amazing first set. 7311 is one of my favorite first sets of early 3.0. I kind of went into this thinking we were getting something similar. And I think the difference is they gave us everything they possibly could have in the first two days of this festival. And they were just ready to play just a set of music. And so there's a lot of mm-hmm. old songs on here. There's Waiting All Night. There's uh, the line, you know, these Fuego songs. There's classics in the realm of Stash and Reba. It's just, it's a really heartfelt set of fish that didn't need to be anything more than that is kind of my takeaway from it. Yeah, well, the Reba is gorgeous. More than that. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the Reba is my highlight though, because it's just beautiful. Trey's playing so delicately. It's a gorgeous version and I also think it's just fun to kind of hear them thank everyone with Fishman on the vacuum. It's like a throwback. Fun. We yeah, suck in love. Stash is my highlight. It's uh, got a little jam yeah. in there. All major mm-hmm. key and good, but nothing too crazy. Um, the maze is also really good. These are jam charted versions, barely, but really, come on, barely. I to go. <laughs> uh, but they're not bad. Um, I like that. I like that they throw out the old songs, you know, Punch and the Buffalo Bill to open. There's nothing wrong with this set. Let me just Mm-mm. say. Nothing. To, just to counter my no. own kind of energy that I have put into this last two couple <laughs> minutes of this conversation. I actually think there's nothing wrong with this set. It's just, it's a lot of songs and it does not um, rise to the level of some of the others in this festival. Hi, Bar. Right there with you. 
And I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a very high bar. And I don't think it like, yeah. this is the kind of set that like, I probably, I, I don't know how many times I've gone back and listened to it. Maybe like twice since the festival. Whereas like the second night, the second set from the first night, I've listened to that hundreds of times. Like you don't need to go back and listen to this over and over again. It's a set that serves a purpose and I'm glad it exists. It filled time before the second set. Kidding again. It is a good second set. What were you guys we about that? Yeah. Well, yeah. What were you guys' thoughts on the second set? Because I, I, I have thoughts, but you guys, I want to hear yours. Jonathan, you go first. Okay. Well, I, I think this is one of those where they attempted to lay it out as a full piece of music, this set. Mm-hmm. And I think they do a pretty good job. Martian Monster starts to go. Uh, Down with Disease also gets out there and has a beautiful segue into Sense and Subtle Sounds. No intro, but beautiful segue into Sense and Subtle Sounds, which would probably be the highlight. But the what's the use is like, I I can't speak for people who were there. So we have Brian to do that. But you can hear on the tape, it's they bring it down to absolute zero. Mm hmm. And then bring it back up and then follow it with dirt. Are you kidding? We mentioned, I, I said, uh, you know, like a wave of emotion at the end of the, the previous show. Like that is just amazing. Yeah. And then boom, right back up with the, the Mike's Fuego twist, twist, Weekapog Martian monster to finish the whole thing out. Outstanding. Really great set. Um, so what set one? Yeah, I mean, this exactly. whole set so is good. just, yeah, this whole set is almost like, it's like bookended so perfect with the Martian Monster. It sounds really intentional. So many of these jams have like amazing moments in them. The Mike's jam is great. Twist is great. Like you were saying, the, the Martian Monster super funky. I love the Down With Disease segue. I listened to that like three times. It's so pretty. It just really works so well. And I love the exclamation point with like, the yam at the end and then they have the like Martian monster quotes and they're like, you thought there'd be a big explosion, poof. And then they just do fireworks. I mean, it's super intentional. It's just like after a weekend of playing that well, they had to feel great ending like that. Yeah. I think out of everything, my highlight of the set is the, what's the use. Um, and I'm just looking at my stats, you know, so they play what's the use, not regularly, but like, you know, here and there throughout 99, 2000, into 2003. Never enough. And then, well, and then it's played 11, 28, 2003, and then not again until 12, 30, 2009. It's a 74 show gap. And then the next time they played is August 14th, 2010, which I was at that show. And that was my first What's the Use. And I remember being so thrilled that I got a What's the Use. And from there, you get between August 2010 and August 2015, you get one, two, three, four, five, six total versions. So there's a huge gap between each version, you know, anywhere between 15 and 25 to 77 shows. And then I get, what's the use, three weekends in a row, August 8th, August 15th, and August 23rd, 2015, this very version. And I remember at that moment feeling this like great sense of like, 
This has been the song that's followed me through this summer tour. You talk about repeats. Oh my God. There's so many repeats <laughs> I saw from Alpine to Meriwether mm-hmm. to Magnaball. And you know how much I cared? I didn't care at all. You know why? Because they were playing everything incredibly well and everything needed to be there. Um, this is really the moment where What's the Use figures out how to go down to silence. And it was such mm-hmm. a stunning moment in the room or in the field. It went quiet and nobody was talking. And the band just like let that space take them. From here, what's the use pretty much becomes a part of the rotation. There are a few gaps of 15 shows. But for the most part, we're looking at a four to five show rotation for this song. And as a result, like I've seen it a ton since then because they just keep playing it. But these three shows in a row, Alpine, Meriwether, Magnaball, it just it was so cool to see this band approach this song in the way that they did. I just I I was blown away by it. Yeah, no, August 2015 is the that's where the switch went on. Like they, they figured it out. Like the song, yeah. we all like the song, but they found the power the power of it. Clearly, they were tinkering, and if we went back and listened to Alpine and Merryweather, which you and I were at, Brian, uh, right? Uh, we were. And then, <laughs> you know, but none of them, I don't, I don't think those two stand up to Watkins Glen. I think that one is just the, not only That's is it like the good one, but it's also the audience is two to three times what it was at the others. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they still are able to, you know, exercise that power. I mean, to do that in a festival setting is pretty incredible. You didn't it see really that is. Stuck ninety nine. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Best documentary ever. It's so satisfying <laughs> to watch. That's crazy. I've never been so like relieved to be a fish fan as when watching that documentary. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's also wild that. Um, you know, I'm just looking at the stats for you enjoy myself because that closes the festival. It was played one, two, three, four times total in the summer of 2015. It was at a point where it was starting to feel like there was a bit of a gap for this song. And to have that song close the entire festival, have the very long fuse gimmick at the end, have the fireworks. It just felt as though like when they walked off stage for Martian Monster, you kind of didn't know what to anticipate. And when they came back on stage, you realize Mm. like, oh my God, like, they're giving themselves 20 minutes here to make their final statement for the run and then walk off. And it was, it was perfect. It was the, it was a perfect way to close it out. There were 27 shows that summer. If you include Dick's as the summer, which is technically September is summer. Quite a bit like this year. I was just thinking that wasn't that similar rotation standpoint. Uh, no, just the number of shows. Mm-hmm. So oh, the overall number of shows. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that I just that's part of the math. You said they played it four or five times, and I was like, Well, out of how many shows? 27. It's, I liked the rotation this summer, and I think that Magnaball closed out well because it showcased a bunch of songs that had been played a lot, but not too much because they were playing them a lot because they were playing them really well. And, you know, you can, one can envision a really big, a wave of hope at Dick's next weekend. I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but one can envision one. Don't and if it were to happen, <laughs> not jinxing, if it were to happen, Brian. part of the reason you would think is, well, they played so many great versions through the summer that it made sense yeah. that they close out the summer with a version like that. 
I think they're going to have a lot of intentionality at Dick's this year, personally. Just like they did in 2015. They had a lot of intentionality at Dick's in 2015. So I think they're going to bring it. I'm not jinxing you. I'm predicting a tiresome structured set. Uh, series of sets or is she predicting you know just like outstanding playing that feels off the cuff but is really deliberate the uh, the latter <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other podcast whole other podcast yeah, um, should we get to our final 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 segment here of questions yeah, to leave it. leave the audience with what do we got yeah, we were talking a little bit about how Magnaball impacted fish and moving forward and how it kind of changed or influenced their playing. Curious as to what you guys think. I think that Magnaball worked in the same manner that Dick's 2012 did and that parts of the Baker's Dozen did in the sense that there had been this consistent comeback underway since they returned in 2009. And it was, it was at the time where the comeback mattered less because what was defining the band at this point in time was their creativity going forward. But it, they, they still had these things that they wanted to kind of check off and one of them was it, it, at least it seemed from afar was a festival that felt like a festival from the 90s and that felt like mm. we immersed ourselves in this world and Magnaball felt that and Magnaball was this moment of totally focused improvisation bottomless creativity and kind of a peak of, of where they had been throughout that tour, similar to what Dick's 2012 had been, similar to what the Bakers does and would feel like on a macro level. So to me, it allowed them to open themselves up to kind of whatever they wanted to do going forward, which I think in turn is part of the reason why summer 2016 is not everyone's favorite tour. Because I think Magnaball opened the doors of creativity where they kind of felt mm-hmm. like, Let's take whatever risks we want to take, even if they don't work out. And I don't think summer 2016 works out incredibly well, but I don't think you get the benefits of summer 2016 or fall 2016 or the Baker's Dozen or Casvolt Vox or all these things that would come after Magnaball without them walking away from that being like, it doesn't matter what we do. Let's surrender completely to freedom, to creativity, to each other. If people in the comments section have issues it doesn't matter. We're playing the long game because it took us however long to get to where we could be here at Magnaball, and let's let's keep pushing in that direction. That's that that's just one man's takeaway. I don't think I can follow that because I kind I tend to agree. As I said early uh, in this uh, 2015 summer 2015 Magnaball is a high water mark. Um, I only saw one show that year somehow, which was the Merryweather show. Uh, but not because I didn't want to see the band, just things. And um, you're right, 2016 summer felt a little bit more of a sag as com- compared to the year before. But that's that's always yeah. been the case, you know, mm-hmm. peaks always. and valleys, right? And you yeah. definitely don't get the Baker's Dozen without Magna Ball mm-hmm. and the summer of 2015. Um, 
don't get David Bowie for Halloween 2016 without Mac. Maybe you do, but I'm glad it all came. It went down like that. Um, this is a great. It's a great moment for the band. Um, honestly, there was a point just a few years earlier when I would not have foreseen that moment happening. It's a good point. So it's a really uh, good point. Yeah, I think there's yeah. two kind of takeaways that I always think about when I think about this year is that it's confidence and creativity. And I think that they had a lot of, Trey had a lot of confidence too in coming off fairly well and just like all the things we've talked about and just his ability to like lead a jam again and, and take things in new directions. And I think that really pays off in towards the end of the summer and in Magnaball. And I think that that confidence and creativity led them to all these incredible things that they continue to be inspired by. And I a hundred percent think it all led to the Baker's dozen. I think that was, which was like the next major inspiring moment for them. Exciting yeah, times. I mean, 2016 was more of a regular year if you will. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did a Halloween, you know, uh, they played Lockin, you know, they did a pretty standard summer tour and, uh, you know, it, and there's nothing wrong with standard, but again, mm-hmm. it's, you know, when you set the bar high, sometimes you're going to go under it. Yeah. I mean, I think to, to all that, like just to reiterate, like the long game, I stopped worrying about fish after Magnapol. And stopped worrying, like, are they mm-hmm. going to recapture this? Because, you know, again, I, I did not love summer 2016. But when I listen to summer 2016 now, six years on in context, you can hear the band exploring in various areas in ways that would lead to the fall, which I think is a very good tour. It would lead to the MSG run, a very good MSG run, really good Mexico run. The Baker's Dozen speaks for itself. And, and without all of the jamming that happened within Magnaball, I don't think that they're doing a 13 night residency where they don't repeat a single song, which thus forces them to jam in very unique areas, that ability. And that, that approach is just simply not happening without what happened at Magnaball and everything that's happened since then. Um, similar to the fuck your face show, I think is the Magnaball influences it all. And maybe the drive and jam is part of that too. Do you hear the drive and jam in later jams? I think that what I hear is, and I didn't even think about this when we were talking about it, but Jonathan said this so well, you know, the idea of the drive-in jam being these almost transitional moments in jams in previous years extended over 50 minutes. I think that one thing you hear is the band starting with the Baker's Dozen, but really as you move into summer 2018, doing what I call post-peak jams, where they'll peak a jam in this like very Mm -hmm. blissy manner takes like 12, 13 minutes. But what comes off of that peak, if you choose to keep playing, is often more interesting than what builds up to the peak. And the the Carini from Alpharetta 8318 is a perfect example of this. That jam peaks like crazy. And you could cap that jam at 12 minutes and everyone goes away feeling like in a frenzy. But they play for another eight minutes off of these weird percussive beats that they turn into its own jam segment. And they did that throughout 2018. They did that a ton in 2019. And I think that last year and this year as well, the best moments were when they fell into these kind of percussive rhythms and they built that up over time. While that's not a direct 
musical lineage of the drive-in jam. I think it's a result of the drive-in jam showing them that we can build something that's not this standard rock and roll peak where the white lights go on and everyone goes crazy, but is more nuanced, subtle music that if we explore it right, and if we keep pushing at it, um, will lead to, in some cases, uh, that much more interesting music for the audience and for ourselves as players. Yeah, I think the um, storage jam was commonly heard all the time after the storage jam. People totally refer to mm-hmm. you know oh this song's very storage jam you know you know they, <laughs> they would spot it all over the place. Drive-in jam is it's way more subtle. I mean the music is more subtle and its appearance is more subtle. It's also the kind of music Fish had been making before that. Um, whereas storage and like mm. Halloween shows and stuff are really like things that you get, you hear after the fact, you're like, Oh, here they're getting at that same thing. Um, yeah. I think this was just a, uh, nice reminder that they could just draw things out. Really. Just chill, dwell on a thing mm-hmm. for a while, uh, which, you know, I think they need to stop and remember that every now and then. Yeah, I mean, I think that some of the best moments of the last year have been those really spacey kind of careening moments that feel kind of loose and more ambient. Yeah. And I, I and love that. Those bits are like two minutes in an 18-minute yeah. jam. You know, you don't get those two minutes without the 15 that precede. And usually yeah, the three exactly. that follow are pretty good, too. So. Maybe I just made that a 19-minute jam, but you get the idea. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take the 19-minute yeah. jam. That sounds great. I mean, it reminds wow. me a lot of the music that like we, Jonathan, like I, I, I see you post about online or I see um, friends friends of the pod. I, I think about Jeff Conklin's show, The Trailhead, and the music that like I can just fall into there. And there's not necessarily like a defined peak that you're going to in those songs there. You're there for the journey and the drive-in jam is the journey. It's not a moment where the band is saying, follow us to this point where you're all going to lose your mind. It's immerse yourself and live within this music. And that to me is the biggest lesson that they took out thematically of it is we're going to play music that, you know, from time to time, we're definitely going to play these jams that like everyone in the crowd's got their hands up, the white lights are on, everyone's going crazy. But a lot of where, where do we keep going as a band? Can we fall into a jam that like the MSG tweezer is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. That is an anti peak. That is a melodic segment of seven minutes of music. That is one of the best seven minutes of music that they've ever played. And I don't think they're playing that in front of a paying audience without things like the drive in jam to reassure them that like we can do this and we, we can do this right. Oh, thank God then for the drive in jam. <laughs> there it is. It's quite a journey, and this episode has also been a journey. And we did it. We covered Magnaball. We did it. A little, a little long, but there's a lot to cover. There's a lot of music to cover. So, Magnaball yeah. was a little long in the best way, so we did it yeah, right. We did it right, and uh, we're coming back on Wednesday, and we're going to way, way back. We're going back to 1987. We're going back to the ranch on August 29th. 1987 and i've already started listening it's so fun was there even a band back then that's surely this is this band didn't they start in like 2009 
Yeah. <laughs> it's the same band. They were definitely not playing the same way, not which is why band. it's so awesome. No, it's so cool. Um, so I yeah, would just... When... Go ahead. I was just going to say that's Wednesday at 4.30. Wednesday at 4.30. I would just <laughs> say to anyone listening out there... Um, Two things, two recommendations. One, I would encourage people to listen to the show because the show rules and it's got one of the best Macca Super Policemans you will ever hear. More on that when we get to uh, when we get to the show. But um, in Undermine Season 1, we talked about The Ranch a ton. Uh, episodes 1 and 3 in particular, I would encourage you to listen to those as they feature Eric Larson, whose house was The Ranch. Um, I would also say, if you are not yet an Osiris Media premium subscriber on Apple Music, go ahead and do that and check out the Undermine premium interview that we posted with Eric Larson sometime last year. Full interview with him and Tom Marshall. Really cool conversation. Eric owned the ranch. Great stuff about how they watched Marley for a summer uh, in exchange for guitar lessons for Trey. Um, Trey did some work on the house and refused to have any support when he climbed up to the roof to do painting and stuff like he was a madman. Um, <laughs> but they used to just set up at the ranch and play these proto festivals. And I think it was Brian Golenberg who said it earlier. Do you guys count Amy's farm as a festival? This is like the precursor Yeesh. to Amy's farm. This yeah. is the pre, this is like come down to the ranch and we're going to play three sets of music. So we are still very much in festival vibe here uh, talking about this show. It's so awesome. You can hear like dogs barking and what's well, Marley and people talking and it's just, it's good vibes. It's really good it's vibes. It's really good. Yeah. Before we go, do we need to talk about Sunset Lake again? Should we talk about Sunset Lake again? We should just tell you all one last time for today at least that our friends at Sunset Lake are a majority employee owned hemp farm located just outside of Burlington, Vermont. For years, Sunset Lake was a dairy farm producing milk for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. In 2019, they diversified and they started growing hemp for CBD. Sunset Lake CBD embraces Vermont's tradition for land stewardship by using sustainable and regenerative farming techniques. To build and protect healthy soils, they are 100% pesticide-free, use minimal tillage, and implement cover crops and crop rotations. They also serve as a research farm for the University of Vermont's agronomists to study hemp and inform industry best practices. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Awesome. Well, I think products. we did it. All products, All everything. We Yourself, whatever you want. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll see you guys on Wednesday. And this was a lot of fun. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye, everyone. Bye, Bye everyone.
Osiris. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast.